So today is week four of this section of what we're calling the big story. What we're trying to do is get a sense over time of the big story that the Bible tells and to enable us to kind of find our place within that big story. And so we've been looking, this is the fourth of four weeks where we're looking at sort of the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. We've called that Jesus Gets in the Game. And so the key thing that Luke wants us to know from this early part of his Gospel is that what Jesus is doing, he's doing entirely in the power of the Spirit. And so we saw this along the way, that Luke tells us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and led with the Spirit. This is as close as the Lego people can get to the Spirit of God. And everything that Jesus does in this initial part of the Gospel, Luke wants us to know that he's doing as a man who is empowered by the Spirit. So the first thing that we saw was Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested by the devil and was given a chance to be tested and tempted and go off in a different direction. And Jesus fought off that temptation, not because he had special God or spirit skills, but just by quoting Bible verses that he had known since he was five. So then Jesus went to his home synagogue in Nazareth to establish what his ministry was going to be about from the Scriptures and read from Isaiah and said that his mission was to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, for recovery of sight to the blind, to set the prisoners free from their bondage, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Luke wants us to look for that as the story goes along. And in the next two stories, Jesus did exactly that. So then Jesus goes out and sets some people free. And we saw the episode last week where he cast a demon out of a guy that had been compelling the guy to do some things. And in the very next episode, he had healed a woman who was bound, the language that it used, with a very strong fever. And so clearly now we've established who Jesus is about relative to the Scriptures. And even in this final episode where Jesus was casting out demons and healing people, the emphasis of the story was all about Jesus' message. It was about His words. It was about the way that Jesus, as a person just like you and me, was grounding what God had called Him to do in the Scriptures. So that that was the end of that episode. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, well, just to, just to show you the, where it ended up. The people were amazed by this. This is where we ended up last week. And there were two things that it emphasized. That Jesus had authority and that he had power. And the key thing up to this point, again, is that Jesus had this authority and had this power because he was a man who was filled with the Spirit. And so what Jesus is up to this point is a fully realized believer. So with the end of that, we move on to the next episode. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 5. And you can see it here. And there's a couple of clues that we're in a new section. You know, the manuscripts didn't have chapter divisions or anything like that. But just the fact that Luke starts it with this phrase, one day, within the Greek syntax, that's an indication that this next section of stories are separate from the previous section of stories. So we're starting a whole new story arc. And so this is what happens. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I've got those two phrases highlighted because Luke is trying to show us two important things. One is, Gennesaret, he assumes that you know what that is. 
Gennesaret is the, the Roman or Greek or Gentile name for the Sea of Galilee, the big inland lake that sits at the northern part of Israel. We've been around Galilee in the previous episodes, but the fact that he calls it Gennesaret, the, the term that the non-Jews used, is a part of an indication of where the story is going to go from this point, that Jesus' ministry is going to spread out beyond the Jewish people, and it's already using that phrase. The second is, is that Luke is sort of summarizing what we just read, that all of Jesus' teaching, because it is grounded in Scripture and because he's empowered by the Spirit, that what Jesus is teaching now, Luke tells us, is the Word of God. It's coming directly from the Lord. Now that he's established that in the story, he can just assume it, and here we go. So Jesus is doing this, but you'll notice that the people are crowding around him. Now Jesus being not only Jesus, but also just a fairly smart guy, he comes up with a good idea. Here's what he does. He sees by the water's edge that there's two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, and he was going to one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Um, what's he doing here? Basically, it's too crowded, and you know, most lake, sh- lake um, shores are kind of slanted, and so by jumping in the boat and pulling out a little bit, Jesus is creating like a little natural amphitheater. So people are out of his face, he can talk to more people at once. And the fact that it's Simon's boat ties us to the previous series of episodes. The woman who was healed from the fever that was binding her was Simon's mother-in-law. And so Jesus, it shows that Jesus already has a connection with this Simon. And so Luke's assuming that we know this. So then, as Jesus is teaching, what we would expect next in the story from what we've seen before is a new section of teaching that Luke would show us, here's what Jesus was teaching. But instead, we get something that's unexpected. Well, no, he sat down, I forgot about that. He sits down and he teaches, that's expected. What we don't get is the actual teaching. What we get instead is he rushes on to the next thing, that when he has finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Now, these guys are done for the day. That's why their boats were up on the thing. They were washing their nets. They'd been out all night. They were done for the day. This wasn't when you caught fish. These guys were ready to go home. If you grab a guy that works at night on his way home to bed, he's already done that once by borrowing his boat. Now he wants him to go back out to work. Have you ever tried to get somebody who's coming off a late shift to do something else after a late shift? It, it's, it's not very cool. And you kind of maybe catch a little bit of that in Peter's voice, in Peter's or Simon's response. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything yet, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, it's really hard to get tone in writing. You know, most of us have probably had awkward email or text exchanges because someone misunderstood our, our tone. And there's a wide, there's kind of an array of how to understand what Peter is doing here. One, or Simon, is how he's still called in the story. One is, at one end, is he's already a complete believer, and we need to hear what he is saying in almost a reverent tone. Master, you know, we've been out all night, but because you say so, we will do it. The other extreme is that he's a guy who's worked hard and hasn't slept for a long time, and he's kind of annoyed. It's like, look, we've worked hard all day, but if you say so, you know, we'll do it. And 
it's probably somewhere kind of in the middle because Simon does know that Jesus can do things that he doesn't know about. But at the other side, even though Jesus can do that, fishing is his thing. It's not Jesus' thing. You know, we, the French have a word for this. It's called your métier. It's kind of your thing. It's kind of your job. Um, and being a fisherman is Peter's thing. It's not Jesus' thing. Jesus, you do the teaching, you do the healing. I'm the fishing guy. And so there's probably a certain amount of just, Peter's, Simon's kind of stuck here. It's like, well, I could do this, I could do that. But they do what Jesus asks. And then the surprises don't stop, as you see. It says when they when they'd done so, it says they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners who were out in the, with their dad in another boat to come over and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is kind of a big deal. Luke doesn't tell us, but this is kind of a miraculous situation. And if you're a careful reader of the Bible, this kind of reminds you of every time that God does something like this. Rihanna was pointing this out when we were talking about it this week, that this is very much like what God did in the wilderness with the manna and the quail. He didn't give them just a little bit. He gave them an abundant amount. And this is something that's very characteristic, that when God is at work, abundance and massiveness is always the characteristic. So this, this is an amazing thing. And not surprisingly, Simon has a strong response. It says that when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, this is maybe a bit of a surprise. But I think he's seeing something here. Notice he changes terms for who Jesus is. In the previous statement, Jesus was master, sort of boss. You know, it can be captain, boss, whatever that you want, you want to say. Jefe, if you were a Spanish speaker. You know, it, it, it was something like that. This is a super loaded term. The term Lord here is a divine title. That in the language that they were speaking, this is the word that's used to translate the divine name that's translated the Lord, the Lord, all throughout the Old Testament. And so what Peter is realizing here is he's not just dealing with a teacher. He's not just dealing with a guy who can deal with sicknesses and demons and knows about fish in ways that he was surprised to find out that he knows about, but that he's dealing with God, somebody that's God. Now, the response still, though, is a little surprising and there's something i want to tell you about that makes sense of this whole episode that what's happening here is that this story is following a pattern that's established throughout the old testament where when god calls people like when he called moses or when he called gideon or almost and when david and saul were called to be kings as well these stories follow a certain pattern and luke is counting on us as readers to know what that pattern is and so here, here's what the pattern is. You might remember, say, Moses' story, okay? So it begins with a whole bunch of stuff. That Israel is in crisis, and in Moses' story, they're slaves in Egypt. Um, the man is usually at work, and in Moses' story, he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. Um, and then a divine figure appears. The burning bush has the angel of the Lord that speaks to him on the Lord's behalf. 
And then that divine figure does something miraculous, a wonder. In Moses' story, it's the burning bush. Um, the guy is afraid. Makes sense. And Moses is kind of freaked out by that. Um, the person usually expresses their unworthiness. And this is the clue that Luke wants us to see this, because it seems odd that Peter's response would be, I'm a sinful man. I mean, he could say, wow, you're a great fisherman, or you're more than I thought, but that I'm a sinful man seems odd. But it fits the pattern that the people in these stories, when God is calling them, usually say, I'm, an unwor I'm unworthy of this thing that you're wanting me to do, Lord. Then the Lord's, or the Lord's representative, always says, don't be afraid. And then you get the mission that they're being called to do. So that's what's happening here with Simon. This is a classic call story. So again, Israel is in crisis, which is why Luke told us that they're in the Sea of Gennesaret. That's the Roman name for Galilee. It's a reminder that they're occupied by Romans. Okay? And then Simon is at work. He's fishing. Um, and then the divine figure appears, except this time it's Jesus. It's not the angel of the Lord. We don't know he's divine yet but we do by the end of the story. The divine figure does a wonder, and in this case, it's the miraculous catch of fish. And then, usually the people are afraid, but he tells us that Jesus and his associates are amazed at what the Lord has done. And this is one of the things as you read Luke. People, when they're responding well, they respond with amazement. And then Simon says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That's the statement of unworthiness. And then what we would expect next is the Lord to say, Jesus to say, don't be afraid. And look what happens. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Ta-da. See, it fits the pattern. And what Luke is trying to tell us is that God is about to do something great with this guy Simon, in the same way that he did something great with Moses, with Elijah, with David, with what he wanted to do with Saul, with um, all of these other guys who had this call story, that what God is doing fits with what he's done before, and he's going to do something great here. So Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, and then he gives him the call. He says, from now on, you will fish for people. Now, this is a kind of enigmatic Thing. I'm not quite sure what that means, but John does, and he's going to talk to us about that. <laughs> but it's a big deal. So what God is doing here is he's doing a new thing in the old ways, and he counts on us to have seen that pattern. Now, the response is a big deal, that Peter and his friends leave their dads, and they pull up their boats on the shore. They left everything and followed him. And this is huge. Even though the story is fitting the pattern, this is amazing because in their cultural setting, to leave your father behind was an act of ultimate betrayal. You were supposed to work with your parents, work in their home. To go off on your own for some dude named Jesus is an amazing, astounding, incredible thing. This idea of learning how to fish for people rather than fish and to go with Jesus must have been so compelling that they were willing to break all kinds of social norms. And just an obvious risk. You leave your livelihood behind. I mean, this is the equivalent of leaving your car on the side of the road with the keys in it running. That's what they did. 
So what is it about Jesus' call that made them do that? Well, that's what John's going to tell you. So when I was, uh, this summer, we went to Big Bear for our vacation, and uh, I'm not a fisherman, but I wanted to fish with my son, so we went fishing, and uh, we didn't catch anything. Um, As a matter of fact, we didn't even get a nibble, and we went out three times, and one of the times I rented a boat and spent like 50 bucks and went to all the places all the people told me to go and used all the things uh, that everyone told me to use, and I didn't, get, I didn't get one nibble at all, and neither did my son, Jesse. And so, uh, fortunately, at that time, uh, two people from church here were in Mammoth, Brian Lamphere and Aaron Mills, and they were at Twin Lakes, and they were catching all sorts of fish. And so, I got the great idea that I was going to go to Mammoth um, uh, on Labor Day weekend. When everyone was driving down the mountain, we were going to drive up the mountain. We were going to stay there by ourselves. You know, everyone would have been gone, and we would have had this lake where Brian and Aaron had caught like 40 fish. We'd have this lake all to ourselves. Further, they let us borrow all their stuff. So not only were we at the same lake at the same time, we were using the same gear. We had the little, as a matter of fact, I think I, uh, I, I put a picture in here. Here's uh, Jesse on, on the lake. We had one of those floaty things with the little flippers so we could go anywhere we wanted. And, and we had, um, uh, Aaron went and got us the exact bait that he was using to catch fish. So we were there for uh, two nights, three days. We did not catch one fish. We did not get a nibble. As a matter of fact, what I remember from that trip, I cast my line out. This is is a true story. As the line was falling, a fish jumped over the line. (laughs) Like I was literally training fish how not to be caught. It was awesome. I, I, I just thought, you know what? And so then I did what any good fisherman did. I started praying, God, please. Just, look, we drove all the way up here. I think I referenced this story. Look, you, you can control the fish. I don't want to sink. I just want one fish, just one fish. Lord, God, I've given my life to your ministry to, to, to be a pastor. I've given up so much for you, one fish. He's like, no, we ain't doing anything. Not one nibble, nothing. So then, about six weeks ago, my friend and I went to Colorado for Guy's Weekend Out. We normally play golf, but this time I wanted to go fishing because he loves to fish, and he could teach me how to fly fish. And so we went fly fishing in Colorado. Like when you see a picture of someone with a giant fish, they're probably in Colorado, okay? And so we go to this place that's known for their fishing, and I'm, I turn out, I'm pretty good at fly fishing. I could get the thing where I want it. I'm proud of myself. Not, not even, well, I did, I caught one fish. Uh, that's it right there. I'm not kidding. And you know how I caught it? It was so cool. I was reeling in the, the thing, and then it got, like, got caught on something, and then I got caught, and I'm like, and all of a sudden, it starts, you know, going. And I thought, I got, I got a fish. I just watched a guy just right near me, he caught a fish. I'm not kidding you, it was about that big. And I'm like, this is it. I caught my big fish. And then that thing comes up. So we had a couple more days left. And I figure I'm going to go to a fly fishing shop 
and talk to a local pro, you know. Now, all this time, both in Big Bear and in Mammoth, I had one thing in the back of my mind that was always working for me. I'm not a fisherman. Like, my identity isn't to catch fish. I don't, I don't get some man charge out of catching fish. I just wanted to fish with my son, okay? So I'm not a fisherman. So I go to a pro. I don't know if you've ever been to a fly fishing shop, but this is what it looks like when you're trying to buy flies. There's literally 270 little bins of different things that are handmade that you, can, that you have to go. And so they ask you a bunch of questions. Question after question after question. And you're thinking, this guy's narrowing it down to the magic bin. And so he asks, like, well, so where are you fishing? Oh, we're fishing on, you know, Queens Creek or wherever we are. Oh, okay. The top part or the bottom part? You're thinking, oh, okay. This guy knows what he's talking about, top part, morning or evening. You're, and you could, like all 270 bins, you kind of see it like narrowing down to like, oh, man, he's narrowing it down. You Republican or Democrat? I'm like, oh. I'm independent. Okay, we get narrow it down even more, you know, and he gets to all this stuff. What kind of fish and what kind of rig are you using? All this kind of stuff. And we get it down to the one, the magic bullet, the little fly that is going to catch these fish. And he says, you know, now you're going to need like 15 of them. And so you spend a hundred bucks on these like special flies for independence fishing at the northern part of the river in the morning you're ready to go not one nibble nothing and i prayed nothing now i didn't care because i wasn't a fisherman but this is kind of the story i want to get into your mind as we look back at this story again Peter did this for a living. I was going to catch a flight back to L.A. I was going to get home, and I wouldn't care if I ever caught a fish the rest of my life. Now, I'm going to go back to Mammoth next uh, Labor Day, and uh, I'm going to, by golly, I'm going to poison the lake, and so they all float up, and I'm just going <laughs> to scoop them all in, right? But imagine you're Peter, and this is what you do. And so you're washing your nets, probably frustrated because you make your living doing this. And while you're washing your nets, Jesus is preaching right around. It's kind of like having a podcast on while you're in your garage. He's just, he's washing the nets, getting everything ready, and Jesus is, is going in. And he's probably listening to the teaching. It's probably something he's heard before as he's been following Jesus around. As Bob talked about, he was with the, the mother-in-law and all, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, he, he's listening to him teach. And then all of a sudden, Jesus raises the game. And he says this. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. And now all of a sudden Simon goes from a hearer to all of a sudden Jesus is asking him for a little bit of investment into this kingdom. To take another step. And for Peter, it's not that big of a deal. He's washed the nets. He's folded them up. Maybe they're still being washed. And he's thinking, oh, good. I get to get out of washing. The... Hey, Dad, you're going to have to wash these. Jesus needs the boat. And you just finish up. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's getting out of some work and he's stoked about it. But Jesus is asking him to get in that step of involvement. And what we're going to watch in this story. Now, I'll bet, even though this takes just a few, maybe an hour, who knows how long. It's going to model probably your journey with God. That at first, 
Maybe you have come to church for the first time. Maybe your parents went to church and all of a sudden you're like, well, you know what? We're having kids now and we want to kind of get them in, into some type of religion or whatever. And so you, you're just a hearer. You, you just come, you listen to the sermons and you're like, man, that was really cool. Maybe God, maybe there is a God and maybe he loves me. And even if there isn't and he doesn't, it's a good place for me to be in church with my family. It feels good. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there one day, minding your own business, listening to a story or listening to whatever, and this same Holy Spirit that was guiding Jesus into the wilderness, the same Holy Spirit that, would, that uh, it, when it said Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden in your mind you go, you know, and you go into something in your life and you think, I think Jesus is asking me to take a next step. And so Peter does it. It's not costing him much. He goes out and as Bob was talking about. And then this was the verse that just kind of got me. When he had finished speaking, like Jesus is done now with the talking. He's finished. And so if I were Peter, right, I let him use my boat. That was kind of the agreement. He could go out, makes a little amphitheater like Bob was talking about. And all of a sudden now, Jesus says one thing else. Let's go in the deep water which would be fine. You know, Peter doesn't know. Maybe he's going to start another sermon and it's louder out there. He doesn't, he doesn't know. But then he makes this statement. And I, here's, here's the thing. As I was kind of just meditating over this verse and looking over my own life and thinking about all the people I know in their journey with Christ, oftentimes it comes down to this one statement that the Holy Spirit has for us. Some radical life change. Hey, Maybe you should, and fill in the blank. Maybe you should give up and fill in the blank. Maybe you should start, fill in the blank. And you're thinking to yourself, because I know it's happened to me, oh no, that's not God. I just ate something bad. God, that sounds kind of crazy. That sounds kind of weird. And here's what he says. We saw it before. Let down your nets for a catch. See, it's one thing if it were me in the boat and I hadn't caught any fish. I'll listen to anybody. I mean, honestly, after service, if you want to come up and tell me how to fish at Twin Lakes, you give me, first you dress up like a clown. I'll be like, okay, I don't know. I mean, it's like I, I have no idea how to fish. But if all of a sudden you start talking to me about something I know, whatever that fancy French word you used, my memete or whatever that thing was, that was awesome. Like all of a sudden you start talking to me about, hey, you know what, you know what you should do when you, then I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You've never done that, whatever, whatever it is that I'm trying to, th I was trying to think of something I'm really good at and I couldn't think of anything. And then I got depressed. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and, so, and so all of a sudden now, now you're giving advice on something I know about. This is Jesus right now. Jesus is talking to Peter about something Peter really knows about. I don't know how many generations his family's been in fishing, but he knows if you don't catch anything, you, first of all, you don't go out into the deep because that isn't where the fish are. They're closer to shore. Second of all, they don't, it's not, it doesn't happen in the afternoon like that where they were. And Jesus just kind of puts this thing out. Let's go. Let's go do it. Has God ever done that to you? Where he's like, hey, you know what? Man, you've been hanging on to that thing for a long time. Let's just, let's just get rid of it. 
Here's the thing. Jesus has never been in a marriage. So how is Jesus going to talk to me about my marriage? Jesus has never been in sales, right? How's he going to tell me about sales? Jesus has never closed a deal. He's never managed a, a, a department. How's he going to tell me about... He doesn't know how to do that. Does he? Does Jesus know you better than you? What if he does? What if he does? And this is the thing that I was, I was looking, looking at. Because Peter does exactly what you'd expect. Master, we've worked hard all day long. And, and like Bob, I couldn't put tone into this. All I could do is put myself into this. And for me, this would be a passive-aggressive statement I'd do to Jesus. Like, I'd go, hey, well, man, we've been working all day, but... If you say so, hoping Jesus will go, oh, I didn't realize you were working all, you know, all night. That's cool. Be like, yeah, okay, I'll put him in there. Or we could just stay. But, you know, like I, I would just kind of be like feeling the whole situation out. Like maybe Jesus will back down before I go. I wonder what Jesus looked like. I wonder, I mean, this is when I read the Bible, this is the questions I ask. I wonder if he was just like looking at Peter like, dude, you better put that in there. You know, like Peter's like, oh boy. You know, I've seen him do some crazy stuff. I don't want him to like zap me or whatever. What if Jesus knows you better than you and he's asking you to do something? You, you know what it looks like in my life? Let's say you get into an argument with your spouse. I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm a pastor. It's never happened to me. But let's just say it did, Okay. And I was in the right, which, you know. Anyway, this is how it looks like to me. And Jesus goes, hey, why don't you get her some flowers? I'm like, Jesus, you've never been married. I've been arguing all night, and I'm weary. You know, like whatever the thing is I'm, I'm going to say to Jesus. I'm like, and besides, that's not going to work. She's going to be on to us, Jesus. She's going to know that I'm doing this on purpose, you know. That's what it looks like for me. All of a sudden, Jesus goes, hey, remember that money you lent to that guy? Yeah? Let him have it. Jesus, I worked really hard for that money. I want that money back. See, all of a sudden, Jesus starts hitting us on places we really know about in our own lives. Jesus says, you know that guy, that relative that really hurt you when you were young? It was a big deal. I want you to forgive him. Jesus, I've been carrying that around for decades, just waiting for my chance to say what I need to say. Man, hey, Jesus says, hey, you know that coworker that's really annoying? Here's what I want you to do. You know that? You see what I'm saying? This is what it looks like in our own life. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up in our mind or while we're reading or while we're watching something and goes, hey, let's set out for the deep and let's drop our nets there. And we're thinking, that will never work. It's not going to work in that relationship. It's not going to work in my finances to forgive that debt. It's not going to work in my just personal psyche to forgive that person. It's not going to work, Jesus. Is God working on you on some, some area this week? Hey, why don't you give that up? Hey, why don't you start that? Why don't you take this risk? Maybe he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so, you know, we saw what happened. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners, 
in the other boat. And they came and helped, and the thing began to sink. But listen to this. I want you to get this. When, when Peter says this to Jesus, he falls at his knees. And he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. This is part of our journey with Christ. This is part of the process. As Bob pointed out, all of a sudden, <laughs> there comes this realization. Jesus is God. Like God's asking me to do something. God is asking me to forgive somebody. God is asking me to let that go. God is all of a sudden invading my life in some area going, hey, I got an idea. Let's do something totally crazy. Right? What if God could take you out to lunch and just talk to you? about your work, about your marriage, about your finances, about all this stuff, about your lifestyle. Oftentimes in our journey, we get to this step. And you might not be there right now. Right now, you might be on the shore, washing nets, listening to some teaching, going, you know what? This is pretty cool. I like being around here. I'm warning you. <laughs> it's going to get more and more and more. God's going to keep going and let me tell you this, as someone who's both rejected the voice of God and someone who's obeyed the voice of God, obedience to Jesus Christ is a life totally worth living. That risk, that, that sacrifice, oftentimes if it's just a little bit, okay, you can borrow my boat and teach for a little bit, but then I'm going in, but then all of a sudden, it goes like one more step and one more step. And you find yourself in a situation you never thought you'd be in, in obedience. You find yourself in relationships you never thought you'd be in. And all of a sudden, it clicks. I'm following God. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. So all of his companions were astonished at the catch and all this kind of stuff. And then Jesus takes it to like some weird... He says, don't be afraid. Cool. From now on, you'll fish for people. And I always just think about Peter going, oh, you know, awesome. Hey, guys, we're going to be fishing for, what? <laughs> like, we're going to be fishing for people? What does that even mean? I mean, for Peter, it's like, I don't want to fish for people. I want to fish for fish. That's what I do. I'm a fisherman. I'm the, I'm the people. They're the fish. That's what we do. We catch them in nets. And by the way, if you could whip us up a couple more of those big net things, that'd be cool. But here's what's happening, and here's what's going to happen with you as you follow Christ and you begin to take these steps of obedience. You are going to get a king, what we call kingdom mind. You're going to start to look at situations. When your kid gets on the soccer team or on the baseball team, you won't look at it just, man, that coach. Is he know? You're going to start seeing going, wow. Some of these people really need to hear what I heard. Some of these people really need to have healing come into their relationships. Some of these people really need to kind of take some steps towards God. And you'll become a fisher of men. And then this part just always blows me away. They pulled their boats in the shore and they left everything and they followed him. I wrote, um, Bob had made a, I didn't ask Rihanna if I could do this. Sorry, Rihanna. Um, but one of the things we have our interns do is look at the scripture before we preach it and then um, have her just, or have him just kind of talk about what do they see? Because we want to see what it looks like when someone's just reading the story for the first time and what they come up with. And Rihanna came up with just such an awesome thing. I wanted to read this. 
And Bob had touched on it a little bit. I, it's funny that I had copied that into my notes. Do you mind if I read it? Okay. John is the best pastor in the world. No, okay. I'm just, I'm, sorry. That was, that was much earlier. Okay, here we go. When Jesus enters the scene, he does more than just bless. He overwhelms with blessing. I love this because it isn't like Jesus had them catch enough fish for dinner that night. In fact, they caught so many fish that they had, listen to this, they had to have more people come join the miracle. I think about this, is how God sometimes acts with us. I think this is such a contrast to the idea of manna in Exodus. There isn't just enough, there's too much, and it requires us to invite others to join. 